All right, Psalm 34, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. Really not as, not so much as a, which is typical of, of the time in the Word on Sunday mornings where we take uh, a, it's expository, looking really deeply at the meanings of things. Uh, this is going to be more of a systematic approach, uh, kind of thinking about what the Bible says about particularly verse 8, and Matt led us very well in, uh, in the song selection because verse 8 is a very familiar verse for us, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And sometimes that familiarity gets, we get lost, uh, the, the impact of those words can get lost. But this morning, I believe, uh, for us in our desire to pursue God, there is a laying hold of God, a grabbing on to God that we are to experience by God's design. And so this morning, we want to look at, just consider and be stirred by the Spirit with what it means for us to be, uh, to lay hold of God. I forgot to say, uh, thank you for your Prayers for Levon and Jessica. I got to visit with them on Thursday. They're healing up. It's miraculous. God has been very gracious and wonderful to them. They are healing up. They still got a lot of bumps and bruises, but continue praying for them. They send their love to you as well. All right, uh, Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste And see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Father, please, we invite, uh, we welcome the work of your spirit that you have planned from eons ago to, to take place and be accomplished and bear fruit in our hearts today. God, thank you that you have been planning for this moment. I pray that we will respond faithfully and trust you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, when we think about laying hold of God, I think what comes to mind for me is our spiritual senses. And our passage this morning invites us to experience God. But we know, we know that physical life brings stress. And spiritual life sometimes is weary. And in our stress and weariness, we can often become numb in our spiritual ability to lay hold of God, to grab on, to, to apprehend him. And as we considered last week, when, when we begin to look to other things other than the Lord, we're actually depending upon our own self-sufficiency to sustain our walk with God, rather than depend upon him and his grace to sustain us. We gradually will lose our sense of God's presence in our lives, we, we lose our sense of God's power showing up. And in our drift, we slip into substitute forms of spiritual life that eventually will fool us into thinking that we really are experiencing God's power and his presence. If you had COVID the past, the first couple waves about a year ago and before, uh, you may know well the feeling of losing your taste and smell. It was miserable. Eating was really boring. 
for me. I was introduced to how the rest of the country eats when they have no seasoning in their food. It's like, wow, this is lame. This is, why eat? Really, we were, you heard the saying before, um, and the world eats to live, but here in New Orleans, we live to eat because we got things to taste. And God gave us taste buds by his grace, and they are wonderful. But if you think today that your spiritual life is boring, I would say, I think you've lost your sense of taste when it comes to the Lord. When it's just, got to do it, got to survive. Just, all right, let's, yeah, let's read the Bible. Let's go to church. But when we lose our spiritual ability to taste God's goodness, it actually leaves us with a bitter taste. We think it leaves us with no taste, but it actually leaves us with a bitter taste. We look at God and say, you're not there for me. We lose the sense of his presence. You're not there for me. We lose a sense of his power. You don't show up and answer like I need you to, God. Don't you see me in this despair? We actually become bitter. And if you find that you don't see God's work, it could be, it could be that you have lost your spiritual ability to see. This doesn't necessarily mean that there's a spiritual blindness going on, but it probably most of the time indicates there's a spiritual distraction in place. In Ray Bradbury's 1954 novel, Fahrenheit 451, it's amazing how Ray Bradbury predicted the future in that book. If you've ever read it or listened to it, uh, people in this story, it's a dystopian novel, people in the story are penalized for having books. And the firemen that are in, in place, and the main character is a fireman, he goes to burn books. He shows up, oh, no, you can't have a book. You, you, we need to put those in a big pile outside and burn them. And so everybody's sneaking these books around, and the main character actually ends up having a book. And Do you know what? They, they're, they're meant to spend their entire day in their dark houses watching TV screens that, are, that fill the wall of a, their living room, their den. Hmm, he's right. He also describes people walking around with seashells on their ears to distract them from all the other noise that's going on. You look at the first, it's weird how the first version of headphones were like seashells, and then it gets to real small, and now it's getting back to big. It's just weird. But this guy said, yeah, people walked around with seashells to distract themselves. So look, we have screens. We have seashells over our ears or in our ears, and they distract us. They do. They simply distract us. All these things, whether it's a a spiritual inability to taste or a spiritual inability to see God's work and his power, these conspire to convince us that God's not around and he's not working in our lives. We we have the spirit because we've received Christ, but we can become very numb to his spirit. Today, I believe God wants wants to quicken our spiritual senses so we can taste and see the satisfaction of our longings in Jesus himself. And what we see in these first eight verses of Psalm 34 is a God-designed experience. God is about experience. He's not about, he's not about simply just walking through things and, and, and never having. And God is an intensely personal being. 
And he wants us to interact with his personhood, his intensity, his intimacy. He invites us in salvation. He invites us to experience his love and his presence as he experiences as God, Father, God, the the Son, and God, the Spirit. He wants us to experience it. He planned it from the beginning when he walked with Adam and Eve in the, the cool of the Garden of Eden. We later on in the New Testament see the tabernacle and the temple were the place of God's presence. And the intention was that all the nations could come and experience God, the tabernacle and the temple. Jesus then coming to the earth in his presence with us, Emmanuel, God with us. And and John chapter 1 says that he tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. This is an an experience. And now with salvation, the spirit now indwells believers. This is an experience. We're to experience God. In the uh, the book of Acts, when we see the Spirit falling on the church, that that brings with it the concept of embracing with affection. It's an experience. David's song that's recorded here in Psalm 34 is his immediate experience of rescue that leads to his spiritual experience of gratitude and praise. If we look at the heading, it says, A Psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. I've always thought that's a really strange introduction to a a worship song. Because when we look at the story, David is, he's running from Saul. King Saul wants to kill him because he's a threat to the throne. David's killed his 10,000. Saul's killed his thousands. He doesn't like this. He's looking to pursue David. David's hiding in caves and has nowhere else to go. So he crosses the border into Philistine country. Remember Goliath? The Philistine? He goes from the pot into the fire. He's going in. They know who David is, and not only do they know who he is, he shows up in their community with Goliath's sword on his belt. So David is trying to figure out what's going on. They capture him, they bring him before Abimelech. And Abimelech was the, like the Egypts had pharaohs, the Philistines had Abimelechs. So Abimelech, the the ruler, brings David in, and David has a thought, I'm going to act crazy. And the Bible says he he foams at the mouth, and it drips onto his beard. And Abimelech looks at him and says, don't I have enough crazy people around? Why did you bring him to me? Get him out of here. So let's put this together. David saw God's power and presence show up in the tiny detail of giving him an idea to act crazy to save his life. Do we see God like that? I bet there was a time in all of our lives that we can look to, probably new to, new to the faith. We just, our, our spiritual eyes are open and we see God everywhere. He's just everywhere. From the parking spot to the red light. He's everywhere. And all of a sudden we grow in Christ. We get used to things. And we lose the ability to see that he's showing up in the tiny details of our thoughts. Or the tiny details of who we interact with. God is about us experiencing him. So what does David say? The first thing, verse 2, gladness. My soul makes his boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. You do a search when you walk through the Psalms. Gladness and joy are all over the place. Rejoicing all over the place. In verse 3, we have magnify, make bigger. Let's make God bigger because as we make him bigger, we feel this jubilation. We feel the joy exulting in him. Verse 4, he's delivered from fear, meaning 
He gave us peace. Those who look on him are with a radiant face in verse 5. In the verse 7, he describes the angel that's encamping around. There's security when it comes. That's an experience. And then in verse 8, the culmination of all of these experiences that David's having with God, he looks and says, oh, will everybody look? Everybody's got to get on this. Everybody taste. Everybody see. So we can then, we can rattle off the gladness that we have and the magnifying and exalting and the peace and the radiant face that we have in God's presence and the security that we feel every day. David invites his readers to taste and see God himself. But tasting connects to knowing. There's two kinds of knowing. Get point two there. Two kinds of knowing. The first is an intellectual knowing. Knowledge that is about something. We have a lot of that. Some of us have more of that knowledge than we care to have, but we do. We know a lot about things and they really don't, nobody cares when we tell them. You know what I mean. Some of you are like that. But this knowledge is a gaining of an understanding that never touches the soul. We can do this in our relationship with God. We can just learn about things and it never impacts us, never touches our soul. So you know, there's somebody else that knows, there's others that know about Jesus, know about God, and it doesn't touch them. The demons themselves, James 2.19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe. They shudder. That's a con- he's, he's condemning them. James is saying, look, the demons have greater fear of God than you do right now, walking in your spiritual numbness. See, there's an intellectual knowledge, but there's also a spiritual knowledge. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. This informs us when unbelievers think crazy thoughts about God. It's because they don't understand him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So we have, by the Spirit of God in us as believers, we have a discernment that we're able to walk with and see, that discernment is a seeing through. John 17, verse 3, Jesus in his prayer for his disciples, which includes us, he says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. Jesus is connecting There's a spiritual discernment that connects to knowledge. And that's a spiritual knowledge that awakens something in us so we can see and taste God. See, spiritual knowledge is a knowledge that lays hold of God. It affects the soul. It goes deep in. It's an intimate knowledge. So we taste. We taste God in his word. Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to the mouth. Do we experience God's word like that? Hebrews 6, 5, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. See, Scripture brings together taste and the word of God. We taste something about God. And when we taste it, remember, I I thought of uh, Jonathan's, uh, Jonathan, who was King Saul's son. When he goes, uh, Saul makes this crazy uh, vow. Nobody can eat anything until we defeat the foe. And you don't. You don't look to your troops and say, look, in order to help us, we're going to not eat. But he thought he was doing something super spiritual in that moment, like he was depending on God. And Saul's life, he's trying to, because he doesn't wait on Samuel to show up, and he offers a sacrifice, and Samuel shows up and says, why didn't you wait? Well, because you didn't show up, and I had to do something. 
He says, well, now the, the kingdom is stripped from you because God desires obedience rather than sacrifice. He wants your obedience. So the, the rest of Saul's life, he's trying to prove his obedience to God. So he's this super spiritual. All right, we're not going to eat anything. We're just going to depend on God to overcome our enemy. Jonathan doesn't hear that. He shows up. There's some honey. He eats the honey. His eyes are like this. And he goes and defeats the enemy nearly by himself. And then Saul's mad at him. You ate? You're going to die. Everybody, the troops. Saul, can we see what happened here? He didn't hear you. Can you have some mercy? And thankfully, Saul had mercy on his son. Didn't kill him. But look, he he took the honey. And it said, it made his eyes bright. See, when we taste the word of God, our eyes get bright to something. So then we see God in his son. So we taste his word in order to see his son. Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 2 Corinthians 3. A bit of a lengthy passage in here, but capture. Here's the radiant face. I, I wonder if Paul was thinking of this passage in Psalms when he wrote this. He said, and we with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we should commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, he says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. See the connection he's making? Mind, knowledge, Seeing Jesus, the devil's greatest tactic is to blind us to Jesus. And as, as believers, he can't take the spirit out of us. He can distract us. He can get us majoring on the minors. He can get us focused on something else. Verse 5. For what we, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts... To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We read the word so we can see Jesus. And when we see him, we then are invited to savor him. We don't don't eat real fast. We, We taste the combinations of all the things that Jesus does and puts together. And our souls are satisfied. When we read scripture, we end up seeing the point of scripture, which is Jesus himself. We have God's light of the knowledge of Jesus. And when we, when we see Jesus with the eyes of our hearts, they're, they're awakened, they're, they're made bright to see Jesus. And then we shine with the radiance of the full, floor, full force of his glory. But we need to recognize the enemy's tactic. He numbs us by hiding the impact Convincing us, deceiving us that the impact of Jesus in our lives is not as great as what we desire. In the Garden of Eden, Eve lost sight of God's glory. That's why she was able to see a tree as good to the sight. And what was that tree? Of knowledge. She thought, oh, I need to grow in this knowledge. But she lost sight of the glory of God. Now taking this Two types of knowledge, in, in, in synthesizing it down, there's, there's two types of knowing. 
Intellectual knowing is knowing about something. Spiritual knowledge is knowing it intimately. So let's, it's a list. I just ask the Lord for wisdom for us to be able to look through this. God, what, what are the things that help us understand whether we're really knowing you and going after you or are we, are we just flirting about knowledge about you? And we really don't have the full impact of his glory. So the heart that sees God trusts rather than manipulates. And we just, as we go through these, just we're inviting, we're, we're paying attention to the Spirit and what He's going to, what He's going to show us, what He's going to reveal to us. The heart that sees God delights rather than demands. The heart that sees God waits rather than wants, looks to give rather than get. The heart that sees God is all about self-sacrifice rather than self-preservation. This is a key one. This kept on coming to mind this week in my prayer for us as a church. Are we more into preserving things in our lives or sacrificing? The heart that sees God submits rather than dictates. How is our submission before the Lord? Are we really obeying him or are we telling God what to do or telling the ones, the people in our lives what to do? I am sweating. Are y'all hot? <laughs> Evan, if you would just put that down, I think it timed out. If you put it down to 69. Thank you. I feel it already. Y'all getting ready to glisten. With all my, so the lights are going to shine off of my sweat on my forehead, my eight head. Get it? <laughs> the heart that sees God stands by the defense of the spirit, not by self-defense. You find that you're defending yourself in your life rather than waiting on the Lord to vindicate. The heart that sees God is marked by patience rather than agitation. This is another one. Do you find yourself just frustrated all the time? Just frustrated. Could be just, we've, we've lost the ability to be intimate with the Lord. The heart that sees God surrenders rather than negotiates. Are our prayers more about a negotiation with God? God, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. Or, or it usually shows up in, I have done this for you, God. Why don't you show up and do this for me? That's negotiation. God doesn't work that way. He doesn't negotiate with us. He says, surrender and trust. The heart that sees God hears the voice of God rather than the voice of people. Who's got your ear? Who are we listening to? Who's got our ear? And the heart that sees God provides spiritually and emotionally and physically rather than than hunkering in to protect. Trusting that God is the one that provides. So look, here's the deal. You look at the right hand of the right side, the ends of those phrases, manipulates, demands, wants, gets, self-preserving, dictates, self-defense, agitation, negotiates, voice of people, protects. Is that more about, is, is that describing more of what your life is like these days. Because we want to trust and delight 
and wait and give and sacrifice and submit and stand by the Spirit, be patient, surrender, the voice of God being loud and provides. What needs to happen in this moment is that we need to repent. If we are more in line with the the self-sufficient fruit of knowing about God rather than being intimate and knowing him, then the Bible tells us to repent. And repent is not, it's not a scare word. It's not an army word. It's a grace-filled response to where we say, God, I'm tired of doing it my way. And you know, by the grace of God, when our thoughts change from a selfish thought to a, a God-centered thought, that's repentance. And so we welcome that. We welcome, God, I need to repent in this moment. I need to repent I need to trust you. I need to lay, lay hold of you for healing and for goodness. Let's stand up together as we pray. I believe the Lord would want us to have a prayer time together where we, we are the church that shows up in, in the, the details of bearing one another's burdens and wants to help. I believe that there are some that need a spiritual quickening, a spiritual awakening, a spiritual revival of sorts, that our eyes would be bright to the Lord. I also would put in last Sundays that the end of how we, um, the evidences of our, the lies that we're believing, our worthlessness and our, our performance and our, our having to do it. We're, we, we're laying hold of, of natural life more than we're laying hold of spiritual life. Ask the Lord is, is moving on you to be bold and ask for others to come around you and just to pray and to pray and ask God, Will you spiritually quicken my soul? Will you, will you, will you quicken my taste and my sight so I can, I can know your goodness? If that describes you, if just asking for prayer, just raise your hand. We're going to have others just come around and pray for you. Thank you, church. As we worship, let's gather around see the hands that are near you. Let's minister as the body of Christ.
There's healing in Jesus' name. Take refuge. Come broken hearted, be not dismayed. There's comfort in Jesus' name. again to the Lord. Matt read this verse when we started and just to remind us this is this is about an experience with God. When Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
an experience with Jesus. And so may we just be reminded to go to Jesus over and over and over again. So as we dismiss today, our commission is go to Jesus with everything. Lord, thank you for your grace that shows up in the details of our lives and in the moments where maybe maybe somebody prayed something and it, it, it's something illuminated in our minds. That's, that's the detail that you operate with and that's how you show up in our lives. So Father, I pray that we would continue to come to you to experience the rest for our souls. That we would be quickened and awaken to your word in a freshness that we, we love reading the word again because we're, things are, are popping off the page and we're able to think about them and love you more to see Jesus clearer than ever. We want to lay hold of you, God, because Jesus of what you came to lay hold of for us. We want to do the same for you. And thank you for the grace and the power of your spirit that guarantees we will get to you. We will find you when we seek you. We seek you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys, see you tonight for our dinner.